Good evening and welcome to the Dollar Dogs and Beer Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and joining me tonight is my buddy, Joe. How are you doing tonight, Joe? Uh, I, I can't complain too much. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, pleased with some progress with my with my boys, but I have a lot of other consternations. So, uh, you know, I, I, at least I didn't play the Marlins this weekend. Let's put it that way. <laughs> or this weekend that's your guys next one so yeah I'm not looking... play them. how about you how you doing yeah i'm not looking forward to that uh it's baseball wise it's been an interesting week i mean it, it it's like the braves can't quite get into a groove yet but i'm not really completely surprised the lineup's going to change around and get to what it's supposed to be once acuna's back in about two weeks anyway so you know slowish start for the braves i'm not really that worried about i am happy our start isn't as bad as what philadelphia went through this past week um which uh, i should note that uh jason is on the uh, one week il he's having some uh, back issues tonight this cold this wonderfully crappy cold rainy pennsylvania weather is bothering him tonight so uh he might be popping in on the comments but he won't be live with us tonight um joe he's, what he's he's day-to-day like mike trout is right now that's for sure. <laughs> except that except i believe that jason's gonna be day-to-day i don't know about mike trout <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, you never know with Trout anymore. Day to day turns into month to week to week, month to month, pretty damn quick, it seems so like. Um, Joe, what are you drinking tonight? I've got a two for tonight, Andrew. I'm drinking um, Shock Top because I'm I'm shocked that the my Cubbies are leading most offensive categories and they're f- above 500 going into tonight's game. So I'm, I'm shocked at that. But I'm also going with the Yingling too. It's my old reliable, more reliable than my manager managing pitchers. <laughs> oh, I cannot wait for the David Ross rant forthcoming when we get to the Cubs section. Which, uh, for the record, I did bump you up first tonight because uh, I, I I can't not. <laughs> And tonight I'm going with an old classic. I'm going with a Kraken and Pepsi because I'm out of beer and I forgot to stop at the store on my way home. So we're drinking liquor tonight. <laughs> You're just preparing yourself for the disappointment of the weekend when you play the Marlins. So, Well, I mean, you know, that is a definite possibility and uh, one which, well, I don't want to acknowledge could happen. I will acknowledge could happen. All right, so let's hop into this. So uh, last Friday, we had our Jackie Robinson Day. It's a yearly occurrence that's uh, been happening on 415 to commemorate and honor the day he broke. He made his major league debut, breaking the color barrier. Um, now everybody in MLB wears his number uh, 42. And this year they did it in Dodger blue, which I thought looked really, really nice because, um, you know, he played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Um, Bud Selig did a lot of really, really terrible things as commissioner of baseball. This is actually one of the things he nailed. Um, He started Jackie Robinson Day back in 2004. Um, Initially, it was only celebrated in 13 ballparks. By the next season, it was celebrated in every ballpark. Uh, Back in 97, that's when MLB decided. Uh, retired 42 um, league-wide 
Um, two notable guys wore 42 after that. Mariano Rivera, he had had it before they retired it and just wore it until he retired. And then Ken Griffey Jr. back in 2007, he actually applied for special permission to wear Jackie's number on Jackie Robinson Day, and he was granted that permission by Bud Selig, so that was pretty cool. Um, by about 2009, every player and coach was wearing 42 for Jackie Robinson Day. Um, and I believe this was 75 years, is that right? Yeah, 75 years this year. So, you know, on one hand, it's really encouraging because you look at the diversity in Major League Baseball today and it's it's a wonderful thing. And then on the flip side, it's not nearly enough. How many African-American managers do we have? Is it are we down to just Dave Robinson now? I can't, I, you know, I don't, you know, Ron Washington, he's a, you know, he's a third base coach. You know, there are other African-American coaches in the league, but I, I think, isn't Dave the only, I think Dave's the he only might, manager right now. He might be at the moment, but um, I know there, you know, there's been some times where there's been more than, than oh, one. I think it's just a, a bit of a. Dusty, Dusty, how how can we forget about Dusty? There's at least two right now, um, you know, and and it's sort of a an ebb and flow. I'm sure that'll go back up here soon. Um, yeah, I I hope it does. I, I really some, do. of, some of that talent is really, uh, you know, working its way up the the coaching ranks, and I think they'll they'll get there pretty soon. I think. Um, Jason's comments they, that he sent in to us before the show um, for Jackie Robinson. He also loved that they went with the Dodger blue um, prior years. They kept it with each team's colors. Um, he thinks it's because of the 75th anniversary. It was, they did Dodgers blue, but he'd love to see it stay that way moving forward. Um, I, and I wholeheartedly agree with Jason on that one. Uh, it, for sure. It really good on the field. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And I think I don't, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the, the 42 signs that hang in, in all the ballparks are in, are they in Dodger blue or are they in a team color? Uh, pretty sure it's Dodger blue. So then just, I, just I don't see why they don't just keep it that way for all of this. I, I hope they do. It would look really nice if they would, honestly. Um, it, it's there's something special about seeing it every year on um, April 15th. So, um, yeah, hopefully that will, you know, hopefully baseball will see, hey, this is a good idea and continue it in the future. Um, and uh, just uh, just so everybody knows, Jason is hopping in on the comments. Uh, good to have you on there, at least, Jason. Hope your back feels better, bud. All right. So some news that that broke last week, uh, actually, right after we were done recording or the next day after we were done recording, there were three lawsuits filed um, against uh, Dodger Stadium security. Um the complaint was that the security forces were committing acts of violence against multiple, quote, passionate, supportive baseball fans during the 2021 season. Um, security officers allegedly perpetrate acts of assault, battery, false imprisonment, civil rights violations, and emotional distress. Um, the first alleged incident occurred August 17th in a game versus the Pirates. Salvador Moda and his wife Marie were preparing to leave the stadium when he was asked to exit his vehicle by security officers, then subsequently assaulted and battered by non-sworn and off-duty security employees dressed in dark polo shirts. Uh, Moda was taken to a hospital tr and treated for severe facial, eye, shoulder, and leg injuries. Um, photographs showed multiple abrasions on his face and swelling of his left foot. Um, the second alleged incident, incident happened on 9-14 against the Diamondbacks. Karen Osorio was at the game with her family when a person, quote, described as a uniform LAPD Dodgers employee, 
violently grabbed cell phones from her daughter, daughter's friends, and grandson and accused them of conducting unspecified illegal activities. Um, Azario questioned the officers, was then surrounded by security and attacked as her family watched. She was handcuffed and arrested, but there were no criminal charges filed. Photographs showed bruising and abrasions on her face, abrasions on her arm, bruising on her chest, and a large abrasion near her knee. The third incident happened um, October 3rd against the Brewers. Adam and Monica Vila were at the game with her daughter when security approached Adam with, quote, complaints of enthusiastic language. So he, he was dropping F-bombs. Um, Vila agreed to stop using the language, but was soon surrounded and attacked by six security officers. A two-minute video was provided to the LA Times showing the moments leading to the incident uh, during which security officers can be heard asking the family to leave. Quote, they told him not to cuss and he stopped. Um, a woman could be heard nearby telling the officers in the video. They said, uh, we got called over here because fans were complaining about profanity. Um, at, they added that a code of conduct printed on the back of game tickets served as an effective warning for Vila's behavior. I, not that anybody has physical tickets anymore, but we'll get past that. Uh, we're not trying to have a big scene. When an officer touches Adam Vila's shoulder, he appears to flinch, and then he's quickly forced to the ground. At least one officer can be seen hitting him repeatedly. Um, Adam Vila suffered head, neck, and back injuries, his attorney said, and photographs taken after the incident showed large chunks of hair pulled from his head. Monica Vila was also reportedly injured in the altercation. Photographs showed her with a cut lip and abrasions on her legs. Um, this is bad. This is really, really, really bad. Um, you know, a lot of this goes back to, uh, the Brian Stowe incident way back in 2011. He was a San Francisco Giants fan at the game and, uh, two Dodgers fans. They just absolutely brutally beat this guy outside the stadium. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he's going to be spending the rest of his life in a wheelchair needing 20, basically 24 hour care after that. Um, and a lawsuit at the time from the family of Brian Stowe did find the Dodgers partially accountable as well. So they stepped up security after that. Um, but, you know, it, it seems like they may have gone a bit too far. The plaintiff's attorney, uh, Peter Donato, said, quote, there's a point in time when the Dodger organization has to step up to the plate, no pun intended, and be responsible. They need to change the culture of bullies. I, Joe, this this is disgusting. It, I, it's terrible, honestly. Um, I, I think there, there's a way to be measured and this is not it um with security i think that the brian stowe incident i remember that pretty vividly it was kind mm -hmm. of you know it was after you know they were playing each other it was down to the wire i think in like august or september and it was you know one of those rivalry games and just it, it was i think it was after the game if i'm not mistaken it was like seventh eighth inning or something like that um you know and it's just like you know too many fans of sporting events treat their ticket as a license to do whatever the hell they want to, which is just, you know, buying a ticket and being able to go to the stadium is a privilege. Don't be a dumbass. Um, you know, there, there's, there's limits. Obviously you're going to see, you know, fans get, get rowdy before they go into games. We've seen it. We've done it as, as college kids. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, there, there comes a point where you have to be reasonable and, and act like a responsible adult, not act like, you know, your ticket's a license to do anything. That being said, what the Dodgers have done, or at least are accused of doing, is just ridiculous. It's stupid. It's moronic. There, there, there has to be a line somewhere. 
and, and, and clearly Dodgers security has crossed that line more than once, at least from what we've set, read and seen. So, yeah. And there, I, I actually pulled up, I, you know, I normally go to like national sports outlets, you know, MLB.com, ESPN.com, you know, SI.com when I'm pulling up, you know, the fun little, what happened in the last week of baseball, <laughs> this, I actually went directly to the LA times and pulled the article up on there and they have the pictures of the victims after the fact and not it's horrific, man. Um, yeah. it's, uh, Oh my God. Especially the first guy, he was in a neck brace for a while. You could, his face is all swelled and bruised up. He's got abrasions all over his face. It's uh, this, the Dodgers need to do something about this and they need to do something about this quickly. They, this is not a case where you let the court system play out and uh, no, I, 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 I'm sorry. I think think you have to get ahead of this. You have to, I'm not get ahead of it because it's already out there, but I'm saying you need to make immediate. You change. have to, you have to, you have to make some changes before this gets to court because uh, um, otherwise you look like you're being forced to do something as opposed to deciding to do something and make it a, a different direction and take a different direction with security. Um, this kind of makes me wonder how many other teams are like this and we just don't know about it. Yeah. Um, depending on, on the stadium, um, you know, um, it, it really is just disgusting. And I hope, you know, they make some moves to be proactive and hold themselves accountable and, and um, really make a, a change for the better. Yeah. So that, you know, the experience at the ballpark is not one where these kind of stories happen. And then the experience at the ballpark is what movies and baseball nuts like us and romanticize it to be exactly and it needs to stay that way exactly um honestly i really hope mlb comes down hard on the dodgers if they don't quickly make changes like this is a case where rob manfred needs to wield the power of the commissioner of baseball and say you need to make changes now this is horrible for the image of our horrible for the image of our game and this needs to be dealt with immediately um, like this is like even to the point where you have, where you levy fines on the franchise, you take draft picks away, that kind of thing. Like it, as much as we hate Roger Goodell because everybody hates Roger Goodell, he would have already he would have already levied you know he already would have levied the max fine against the franchise and probably taken away at least a third round draft pick. If it was the Patriots, he would have taken a second or first round draft pick because eh, yeah, it's the Patriots. I, honestly, if, if if Roger Goodell were the commissioner of, of the major leagues, it this would have been dealt with before it became a news story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, and Jason, uh, you're, you're right. It's absolutely horrifying. The Dodgers need to be held accountable and they need to be more proactive. 100% agreement, bud. I, yeah, this I, I saw those pictures. I read that article. Chills. Honest to God, chills. It's terrible. Um, and anything else for you from that, Joe, before we hop on? Nope. All right. So now for what is not, which is probably going to be the absolute most controversial thing we will cover this week. Clayton Kershaw was rolling against the twins. Like the twins could do absolutely nothing against it. In fact, he had a perfect game going through seven innings and 80 pitches with 13 strikeouts, I might add. Dave Roberts pulled him. 
Now, this was Kershaw's season debut after an abbreviated spring training, and let's remember he had an injury-shortened season last year. He, um, I think I read he didn't even pick up a baseball and start working out until like January or February because he was recovering. Um, Robert said, quote, I'd like to think that we're all fans of baseball. I know I am, and so fans want to see great moments. I absolutely understand that. Clayton wants to see a great moment for himself personally, but I can't manage a ball club and players with my fan cap on. And the next day, Kershaw said, quote, at the end of the day, in the moment, it felt like the right decision. Because, you know, he's, if you would have asked him this like 10 years ago, no, he would have gone off. There's no way of knowing the risk I faced. I could have thrown nine innings and been fine for the rest of the season. I could have thrown two innings and be hurt the next day. Nobody knows, but in the moment, I felt like that was the right call for my personal health, the best interest of the team, and me being ready in October. It all seemed like the right call at the time. This is all. This is the second time, actually, that old Dave Roberts has done this. Back in 2016, he also pulled uh, Rich Hill from a perfect game bid, uh, I think also after seven innings as well. Um, Joe, what do you think? Um, absolute horseshit by Dave Roberts. <laughs> uh, let's get this ball rolling. I, I mean, seriously, he, he could make his next start, you know, Sometime this week, throw his elbow out, and he could have had the perfect game and thrown his elbow out. Like, if 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 I'm a, a major league player at his stage in his career, I want give give me both. Give me the perfect game and the blown elbow, not just a blown elbow. Um, you know, a couple of games in, I, I think, uh, you know. It, Again, we talked about this before the season started that the spring, the short spring training was going to cause a lot of interesting decisions and a lot of injuries, which we'll get to. Um, you know, to me, Kershaw is saying what he has to say because the older Kershaw is a team player and understands that, you know, you can't piss off the manager at this point in your career. Um, but this is just as stupid as something I heard Dave Ross say earlier like i heard in a broadcast over the weekend um they were talking about you know guys getting pulled like before they qualify for a win or something like that and apparently ross said at one point it's not my job to get pitchers wins it's my job to get team wins yeah fine but guess what those two are not mutually exclusive usually if the pitcher gets a win your team gets a win so <laughs> With, with this one, I think, you know, Kershaw being Kershaw and not having this much time left, you'd have to pull me off the field. This is stupid. Um, I have a chance to have one of, what, two dozen perfect games in the history of the game, and you're going to pull me in a seventh when I'm mowing down pit hitters? I, I could see if he was struggling, and I could see, too, if – it wasn't a perfect game anymore and it was just a no hitter because he's had one of those before, I think. And they happen more often. I mean, we had what nine or 10 last year. So, you know, I could see if it was that and Hey, he gives up a hit. Okay, fine. It's time to pull him. But when a man's got something like that going on, this reeks of like um, Comiskey pulling one of his pitchers out of a, you know, 30th start of the season, you know, so that he doesn't have to pay him more money. 
This is bullshit. Yeah, Sorry. I, no, you're fine. I wholeheartedly agree. I I was just enjoying the uh, rant as it went along. Um, Jason, I do not know what Rich Hill's pitch count was in that game. It may have been higher. Um, and and you know we saw this too with the Mets a few years ago. Uh, they let Johan Santana run up like 134 pitches to complete the only no hitter in Mets franchise history, which, uh, considering Tom Seaver pitched for them, is surprising. Um, and you know we saw what happened to Johan afterwards. He he was not the same pitcher for the rest of the year. So I, but here's the thing: it was 80 pitches. Um, Jason, your your notes from the original Facebook post we threw up there. Quote, for me, this is a fireable offense. I would have gone out in the mound, sat down, and gone dead weight. They'd have to physically remove me from that game. Uh, <laughs> um, Dominic, uh, Dominic Matillo agreed with you on that one, Jason. Um, Tyler Schickel, uh, he, he brings up the point uh, Kershaw and Roberts brought up. They're trying to save him for the postseason. I know it's game six or seven, but if he pitches like this every game, then his arm will be blown out come postseason like every other year. Yeah, Jason, I'm not surprised you stand by it. I would stand by that too. Um, and then, uh, again, I, I don't know if it was me. I can't remember which of the three of us responded to this one. It might have been Jason as well. For the postseason, that's 150 games away. He's not going to pitch like this all season. Unless he's hurt, there's no excuse for pulling him from a perfect game once in a career moment at 80 pitches again. Um, and, it, you know, like, like I said, uh, oh, it was Jason. Of course it was. Um t- and again, Tyler does make a good point. When you have a history of being hurt, not making it through the whole season, save his arm for the games that matters, he will get there again. Again, I know, uh, Tyler, I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying. He has the injury history and all of that. I'm not pulling him. It's Clayton Kershaw. I know he's already going to go to the Hall of Fame someday, but there just aren't that many perfect games. You let the man have a chance. He's only at 80 pitches. If he struggles through the eighth inning, or if he had struggled at any point before that, that's fine. That's a completely different story. He was blowing the Twins down. He was averaging almost two strikeouts an inning. 13 strikeouts after seven innings. He had the Twins right where he wanted them and was mowing them down with brutal efficiency. You don't pull a guy like that out of the game. Um, Todd, uh, Todd Segetti said, if I were at the game, I'd demand a refund to come out of Dave Roberts' pockets. It's a shame the Twins didn't come back to win. I think that was like a 7 nothing game, so there was literally no chance of that happening. Uh, Rich uh, Miller. I will, I will say I'm not surprised that Dave Roberts made this move because Dave Roberts is the same. You know, if he had put his fan cap on in the postseason last year, he wouldn't have lost to the Giants. <laughs> Dumbass. He lost to the Braves, man. He beat the Giants. Well, He's I mean, the- right. He wouldn't have lost to the Braves, but he wouldn't have had to, um, you know, play. He wouldn't have been so tight with them, I don't think, um, with that series, I don't think. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of uh, interesting calls Dave made by the NLCS, blaming the fact that he had to blow all of his pitchers in the NLDS because the 106-win Dodgers were a wild card team. Well, you know, you could have won. In your a- damn division. Thank you. And honest to God, if, you know, if the rules were reversed this year, the Braves, the, uh, let's say the Mets win 107, the Braves win 106, Braves are wild card and Dodgers win 89. You know, it's going to suck, but I'm not going to be complaining about it because 
they didn't win their division. And the division winners, like the regular season still needs to mean something. That's what that boils down to. Uh, yeah, Jason, Ful Jason, I love you running stats in the side, man. Yeah, only 23 perfectos in the history of the game. You can't pull them from history. Yeah, my, my dad went off on that. Uh, after seven, no hitter, sure, pull him. Only if the perfect game gets blown. Roberts needs to be called on the carpet for this. And uh, Travis Nur, let him pitch. I, 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 so it seems like, uh, generally speaking, the DDAB fan base is all in agreement with all of us and that uh, Roberts uh, screwed the pooch. <laughs> Um, Jason's last, uh, J Jason's last comment, like, uh, in the group chat, like he said, Kershaw, I'm still pissed. He was pulled. He said what he had to in order to back his manager. If he walked a batter or something, at the end of the perfect game, you pull him immediately. He has no hitter, but the pitch count was fine. Who knows how long he'll have left to try and get the perfect game. Yeah. And again, I, I completely agree with all of that. You guys No, no arguments from me. They the terrible, terrible call by Dave Roberts on that one. All right, so apparently this is going to be pitching week because uh, there were some phenomenal pitching performances this week. Um, New York Yankees left-handed starter Nestor Cortez pitched an immaculate inning against the Orioles. For those who don't know, an immaculate inning is uh, three strikeouts and nine pitches. And he also struck the side out earlier in the game. He struck out 12 total Orioles hitters in five innings. I, I know, the Orioles... You know, not world killers. So they have, they've got some good hitters scattered through there. They've got Mancini, you know, a couple others, and and he became the first Yankees pitcher to strike out twelve or more in a five inning or fewer outing. That's where baseball is today, folks. Where you have pitchers only going five innings and racking up ridiculous strikeout numbers. Absolutely incredible. And Joe, I don't know if you saw this. Um, I forgot to throw the link up, but. Um, there was a minor league pitcher where they were actually following the pitch clock who had an eight pitch immaculate inning because the batter stepped out and stepped out for too long and ran the pitch clock down. So it was deemed an automatic strike. Yeah, that's, this is one of those things where I don't, this is one of those reasons I don't want the pitch clock, stupid things like this. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily <laughs> understand. I mean, yeah, that's great for Cortez, but hey, did they beat the Orioles this week? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we lost the series to the Orioles. Yeah, that's that that that's uh yeah, it's pretty terrible. <laughs> gotta take your wins where you can get them, I guess. And I mean, you're gonna see that. You're gonna see that in the early season, you know, where uh, nobody is settled in yet. But yeah, that's still that's pretty bad. <laughs> um now, Jason, yeah, this might be the year of the pitcher. Only 15 home runs yesterday. I honestly, Jason, there could it be? Sure. Um, last year really set the bar pretty high for calling things the year of the pitcher. So once if we could see a no hitter or two in April to get the things rolling on that, I might I might uh, readdress that. Um, it should be noted though, too, but uh, going back to Kershaw quick. The reliever who came in immediately after him, the next batter, base hit. <laughs> Should have left Kershaw in. And it was the only hit the Twins got the entire game. Imagine that. If Kershaw would have stayed in, that might not have happened. Yeah. Um, go, looking over at Japan again, uh, Roki Sasaki on fire. He was also pulled from a perfect game after eight innings. Now, he had 100, he had 14 strikeouts at that point. He was being pulled at 102 pitches. He struck out the side in the eighth inning, was still hitting 101 on the clock. Freaking incredible. Um, 
he has not allowed an opposing hitter to reach base in an NPB record 52 plate appearances through four starts this season. He's got a 116 ERA, struck out 56 batters, only allowed seven walks, two hits, and 31 innings. Oh, my God. Now, it was a tie game when he was pulled, and his team did lose one nothing in the 10th. At, at that point, I that's uh, that's that's a better debate. Do you pull the guy at that point? Because he's over 100 pitches. He had the perfect game last week. The game is still tied, so there's no guarantee he gets a win. I'm more understanding of pulling the guy at that point than I am of pulling a guy at 80 freaking pitches after seven innings. Plus, didn't he have a perfect game last week? So, I mean. Yeah. He, 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 you know, the first one since what I said last week, like 1993, 96, something like that. It's been a long freaking time in Japan. Um, it, it, Jason, I completely agree with you. I cannot wait for him to come to the U.S. too. Uh, the contract this guy is going to command when he comes over, he is going to blow apart all of these other Japanese baseball contracts that he is going to set the bar so freaking high yet bearing injury. Of course, that's going to be insane. And it seems like he's basically a two pitch guy, hundred mile an hour fastball and a really, really nasty fork ball. I looked the guy up on YouTube after the perfect game last week. Holy crap. That fork ball falls off the table. It is a thing of beauty. I'm sure he probably has some breaking, some other kind of breaking stuff in there too. Um, Jason didn't rich hell have a no hitter through nine, but the Dodgers lost in extras. Um, Could have. I I thought that game was a perfect game when Hill was pulled. Are you talking about a different one? Because Rich Hill very well could have had a no hitter through nine, but the you know having the Dodgers blow it in extra innings that just wouldn't surprise me. All right, so. Yeah, th- yeah, Jason's looking it up. Like I, like I said, Jason, you, you run stats tonight. That'd be phenomenal, man. <laughs> All right. I, I tell Sasaki to come to the come to Chicago, but I don't want to see his arm wasted. <laughs> Here's the problem. If he comes to Chicago, he might go to the south side, not the north side. I don't know if you want to risk that. No, no. So um in other pitching news, um, the uh, Reds rookie phenom I talked about last week, Hunter Green, uh, he's still throwing smoke, man. He against the Dodgers, and he didn't get the win, unfortunately. He broke the record for triple digit pitches in a in a single appearance with thirty nine one hundred plus mile an hour fastballs. Again, thirty nine hundred mile an hour plus fastballs. The record was previously held by Jacob Degrom with 33. That was uh, set back on June 5th, 2021. So the record didn't stand for very long. He also set a record for throwing 13 101 mile an hour pitches as a starter. And he tied Jacob Degrom and uh, Justin Verlander uh, earning two strikeouts of 101 miles an hour in a single outing. Holy crap! This kid's gonna be good. I said it last week, and I'm gonna keep saying it. Um, good luck hitting him. He can get a little flat at times, like I said, but my God, the first two times through the lineup, he is going to blow them dead trying to catch up to that fastball. Yeah, more than likely, it's it's really fun to see. Um, along with 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 Green and, and some of these other pitchers we've seen the last the first two weeks here, um, and Sasaki. If you're not following at Pitching Ninja on Twitter, you're missing out. They they have all these nasty pitches and, you know, 
how these things, you know, run. It's just amazing to watch what these pitchers are doing to baseballs and what Hunter Green is doing with throwing this gas. It is just insane. Um, I, I just don't know how how long he can he throw that hard. Um, and and if if he continues to throw this hard, how much are they going to, you know, lean on him a little too hard at this age? Um, you know, given the Reds are the Reds and decided to sell everything when they were three games away from the playoffs last year. Um, yeah, ridiculous. You know, I, I, I just don't know if that's – I'm hopeful that he can, you know, stay healthy long enough to, to have a good career because he, he seems fun to watch so far. Um, but, you know, the Reds are his, are his team at the moment, and we'll see how good management does with that one. Yeah, like, like I said, even while he was just destroying Atlanta's lineup, I had a blast watching him. His stuff is utter electric. And, uh, yeah, if if he can stay healthy, he's going to be a very good pitcher for a long time. Because um, let's face it, when you start at 101, um, you know, as, as you lose velocity over time, it means he'll be like Nolan Ryan. He'll still be throwing in the mid-90s when he's 40 years old. So let's hope for that. Um, Jason finally found that for us. Uh, Rich Hill, the uh, no-hitter through nine that the Dodgers lost in extra innings. August 24th, 2017 versus the Pirates in Pittsburgh. My God, Dodgers, that's that, that's pathetic, losing a no-hitter to the freaking Pirates. Um, he took the, the no-hitter into the 10th inning, pitched the 10th, and then took a one nothing loss and a walk-off home run. Yeah, I, come on, come on, man. Your, your pitcher's throwing a no-hitter. Squeak a run across, especially against the Pirates. Uh, definitely not known as a death lineup of uh, pitching. All right, so now let's let, let's look at the. Uh, we're we're going to take a quick peek at the downside to how things have gone with the shortened spring training. You know, one thing we had talked about before the season and into the first week was pitching injuries. They were going to happen. Um, I just looked at the. Um, I looked at the MLB uh, injury report earlier today. The list of pitchers on the 10 and 60 day ILs right now is getting really, really, really bad. I'm not going to go through this whole list, but I'm just going to pick a couple names out. Um, Hyunjin Ryu of the Blue Jays, Sonny Gray of the Twins. John Means just went to the 60 day with an elbow strain. So the Orioles basically have no starting pitching anymore. Uh, Chris Soleil, who I feel like hasn't pitched in three and a half years anyway, got transferred to the 60-day with a freaking rib injury. Go figure. Joe, you have two guys in the 10-day right now, uh, Miley and Mills, uh, Brad Wyatt on the 60. Um, the White Sox are down two of their big starters, Lance Lennon, Lucas Giolato. Um, the Reds, Mike Miner, he was actually pulled from a rehab start because his shoulder got sore again. And Lucas Sims is on the 10-day for them as well. I mean – there are a lot more da- a lot more names on here than you like to see. Taewon Walker of the Mets, obviously DeGrom's on the IL indefinitely because the Mets can never get him healthy. Um, the Phillies just lost uh, Sean Coonrod for 60 days. And I don't think he's done for the year. I think I think they just want to, they're going to take him really slow coming back. Um, Blake Snell, Mike Clevenger of the Padres, Spencer Howard. Although his is just a crack nail or slash blister, so that's not as big of a deal. Um, for the Nats, Anibal Sanchez, Mason Thompson, and of course Strasburg's on the IL. So, you know, 
you're going to see these injuries with a shortened spring training. All you can hope for is that these teams are going to be smart, use the expanded roster as much as possible, and try and reduce wear and tear. That's a massive injury list for for April. Um, probably the biggest name on there. I agree with Jason. John Means. That's uh, the. Do the Orioles have anybody left who can start that doesn't completely and utterly suck? Yeah, it's kind of that's kind of what I thought too. That's uh, wow. Yeah, this is this is troubling. It's it's concerning. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of people go to you know six man rotations, or they're going to do um, something the Cubs have done with Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson and have them pitch back to back. You know four four, three, four innings, um, yeah. you know, do some sort of package deal like that where almost every game is going to be uh, a bullpen game. So uh, in some way, shape, or form, not like a full-blown <laughs> bullpen game, but, you know, a lot of these games are going to be bullpen games in some way. I do agree with Jason. I think the White Sox losing these two guys after not signing Rodon is terrible. Yeah, the Absolutely White Sox are suddenly – hella thin at the rotation which was going to be a strength for them that said i don't know if the rest of the division is going to be able to make that up beforehand um jason would also like to point out that our buddy big jim may be available to step in for a couple spot starts for the orioles and uh i can come out of retirement yeah i i don't think my arm's up to that anymore i wish it was although that said uh way back when it, ignoring the joke between me and the other Andrew Miller who owes me a lot of money for stealing my name and likeness. Um, way, way, way back when I actually could, I, I could actually throw a really nasty split fingered fastball and I actually know how to throw a knuckleball. So uh, if the Lancaster Barnstormers would like to sign me so the major leagues can see me and grab me, that'd be great. Although I know that's probably not going to end well. It's been a pretty long time since I uh, pitched anything for real. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, Joe, let's head into our predictions now. We we didn't do the division predictions last week because of how long we were running. So, um, all right, Joe, wh where are you ranking the five teams in the AL East? We'll start with the AL and then go to the NL. Um, I, I would say probably um, – I, I think the AL East, it's probably five to one, I would say – the Orioles, I would say the Yankees, four, the Rays, three, mm -hmm. and I, I'm going to, I'm going to say Blue Jays probably, that, that's too close to call at the top there, but I, I'm going to say Blue Jays, two, Red Sox, one. Interesting. And yes, Jason, 100%. The only way to go down in history is a 100% strike percentage. Um, for me, uh, going worst to first, Orioles 5, Red Sox 4, Yankees 3, Rays 2, Blue Jays 1. I, I think it's the Blue Jays division to lose um, until they do something stupid and convince me otherwise. Uh, Jason's 5-1, to one, Orioles, Red Sox, Yankees, Rays, Blue Jays. 
All right, moving on to the AL Central. Uh, I'll go first this time, Joe. Uh, worst to first, I've got the Royals at five, the Guardians at four, the Twins at three, the Tigers at two, the White Sox at one. I still think, despite the pitching injuries, I still think it's the White Sox division to lose. They just won't have the division wrapped up by June 28th this year. What do you got for the AL Central? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with um, Royals five. I'm gonna Guardians four. Uh, Detroit three, Minnesota two, White Sox one. And Jason is hopping on the Andrew bandwagon with his picks for the AL Central. All right. Yeah, I, I think the the big thing with with the Twins made a ton of moves in the, the last week or so before the season started. Um, they, they've had some some prime promising games here so far. So I'm just not. It's it's kind of a, a close call there, I think, between three and two. Um, I agree. You know, I, I'm, I'm counting on Javi striking out 200 times or more. So um, I, I'm going to say uh, <laughs> I'm going to say, uh, you know, Tigers three, Twins two, White Sox one. <laughs> now that you flip flop it around. <laughs> Oh, man. And uh, Jason is hopping back and forth, kind of like the uh, Philly fanatic trying to land on his feet when he parachutes out of an airplane. So, uh, <laughs> all right, looking at the AL West, uh, Joe, what, what do you have worst to first in the AL West? Um, I, A's, A's fifth, I would say. I don't think, you know, the, just with the fire sale they did, it's just ridiculous. Um. Trying to remember who all is in the AOS because I don't watch it enough. You, you want the Rangers at four? <laughs> yeah, I would say probably Rangers at four. Um, the I know it's going to probably be Seattle one, Houston two, and Angels uh, three. Yeah, Angels three. I was, couldn't remember who the fourth team was <laughs> <laughs> i won't hold it against you jason might but i won't um jason's picks uh he's gonna go rangers last then the a's the angels the astros the mariners and uh, jason we're actually in agreement again that's exactly how i picked it uh i was originally gonna go a's five but the a's have actually shown that they aren't going to completely roll over and die yet Whereas the Rangers just have decided not to start playing baseball yet. They're like two and seven or something insane like that so far. So, um, and that may flip flop by the end of the year, but you know, that's where we're going to have it. All right. Now the uh, bloodbath of the East, the NL East, um, my worst to first, I've got Nats five, which I think is pretty much going to be universal for everybody. Marlins four. I've got Mets three because I just don't know if they can get over all the injuries to their starting pitching that they've got between DeGrom down and um, Taewon Walker going down. And who knows what they're going to get out of Max Scherzer. I've got the Phillies two. I've got Braves one. What do you got, Joe? Yeah, Nat, Nats fish five, four. Um the rest of this is going to be a little touchy, I think. Um, I think I'm going to go with the Braves three, the Phils two, and the Mets first. Um, I think the the Mets, Tyler McGill has been electric for them. Um, Carrasco has pitched well enough um, to, to make a difference there. 
Um, so I, I, I think they have enough offensive power. At least they did this weekend. I was watching some of that. Now, granted, it's the Diamondbacks, and Zach Davies is one of the pitchers for the Diamondbacks, so <laughs> go figure. Um, we all know the fans of this show know how much I love Zach Davies <laughs> or love to hate Zach Davies. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think they have enough offense, and I, I think – now that they have better management, you know, they're not having 50 different lineups 10 games into the season. Um, you know, that's just sort of what it felt like watching the Mets last year. So I, I still think the Mets could win this division. I think, um, like I said, McGill is the big bright spot for them so far. He hasn't let up a run yet in two starts. Yeah, McGill, yeah, McGill's been fantastic. I've uh, I, I've been shocked at how well he's basically turned himself into a miniature version of Jacob Degrom so far. It, quite surprising. Um, Jason's picks: Nats, Fish, Phils, Braves, Mets. Uh, he agrees with my point on the injuries, those being a valid point. And again, and that's going to be for all for the top. I, I don't think there's any doubt. Top three is Braves, Mets, Phillies. No matter how they get ordered. Um, I'll just go alphabetically for sake of argument at this point. Um, it, it's going to be who's going to stay healthy and who's going to recover best from when injuries do happen because injuries will happen. So, yeah, it's yeah. – yeah. And I think I think the thing with, you know, DeGrom is the Mets are used to not having DeGrom at this point. I, I, I think he's becoming – he's the Mike Trout of pitching at this point. They're more used to not having him than they are used to having him. Um, and, and, you know, I, I just don't, they have better management to get around that this year than they did in the past. Um, you know, and, uh, and better quality guys that they've developed from a pitching standpoint. Yeah, I do agree with that. All right, let's move on to the NL central Joe, your division, take it away, buddy. Worst to first. Um, four or five is a toss up for me. I feel like the Reds have just, completely, you know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater and just decided to say, forget it. Um, you know, with all this, the releasing and trades they did this year, Ken Griffey is the sixth highest paid red and he doesn't even play for them anymore. So it, like by, by getting rid of all of that, that's kind of what you're left with. And, and I think, you know, they have enough, talent in the field to probably be fourth, but you know, the, the pirates, you know, that, that's going to be a, a, a bit of a split there, I think. So I'm going to say, um, <laughs> I would, I'm going to say reds five pirates four. And then I'm going to agree with Jason Cubs. Well, I'm going to flip the brewers and the Cardinals cubs brewers, Cardinals. Okay, so the first person to and that's uh, hard for me to do because you know how much I love the Cardinals. So, <laughs> um, Jason, as he says, the Reds have given up like I give up on exercise. Jason's picks are um, Pirates, Reds, Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, which matches what I said. Uh, no, I'm sorry, I said Reds, Pirates, Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers. Yeah, I the the number 14, the four five, that's gonna whatever. Um, I still don't. I, I I love the I love the love the bromance going on. Let's bring back Yachty and Albert and Wainwright for one last show. Uh, ten years ago, that's a hell of a lineup to bring out. Now, 
I'm not as sold on it. So I think the Brewers are still going to hold the central. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I do think that there is some of that sentimental stuff. And like you said, it's not quite the same, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think <laughs> that, um, you know, I think the Cardinals have enough talent all over the outfield and in other spots in the infield that, you know, the, the old teams with pool holes, they didn't have quite this much talent the rest of the all over the rest of the field, I think. Um, so I, mean, I think that's helpful. I, the Cardinals definitely have the best defense or one of the best defenses in baseball. Problem is when your pitching lets the ball go over the fence, it doesn't matter. Right. All right, looking at the NL West, uh, my worst to first, Diamondbacks 5, Rockies 4, Padres 3, Giants 2, Dodgers 1. I finally decided I'll go Dodgers 1 over the Giants. Uh, again, that the top two I could see flip-flop. I don't see the bottom two flip-flopping. Although, Padres-Rockies, that'll be interesting. Will the Padres manage to not completely and utterly collapse horribly this year? That'll be a good question as we as the season goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go uh, Diamondbacks 5. Um, you know, I'm going to – I agree with Rockies 4. Um, I think the Padres will stay 3, and I'm going to go Dodgers 2, Giants 1. I think the Dodgers – or the Giants just have so much great starting pitching. And not to say that the Dodgers don't, but it's younger quality starting pitching than the Dodgers have. Um, you know, and I think – they're going to be hungry after last year going down on a check swing. That wasn't, um, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of fire in, in camp. And I think, you know, Kapler has shown he can, he can not screw a good thing up last year, at least getting to the playoffs. Um, you know, so I think this could be the year he gets over the hump, I think. Add Kapler to the list of managers who have been more successful once they've left Philadelphia than they were in Philadelphia. Um, uh, Jason's with me on the uh, NL West as as written. All right, so um, my my three wild card teams from the AL, I had the Rays, the Astros, and the Yankees. My three for the NL, I had the Phillies, the Giants, and the Mets. Um, So who are your three wild card teams from each league? Well, since I I think I said – um, I said Blue Jays for the AL East, so, um, Red Sox for the AL East. So I'd say the Blue Jays will be one of those other two teams. Um, probably the Rays and and Houston would be the other one. Mm-hmm. Uh, assuming that the entire AL Central is just not quite good enough and beats up on each other, um, that's what I'm going with. All right. And uh, Jason's pick for wild cards, Astros, Rays, Yankees. And yes, Jason, I pulled up the transcript. You did say Yankees. So correct. Um, And then did you say your NL, Joe? No. um, I I think it'll be Dodgers will be one of those. I think um, I'd like to I'd say at least one of the other two NL East teams will be in there. Whoever doesn't win that division and takes second, um, I guess based on my picks, that would be Philly. Um, but I could see that going either way. 
yeah. I think that third wild this third wild card makes things interesting. I do think you could potentially see the three-headed monster we saw in the NL Central years ago, where you had three teams make the playoffs from one division. So I, I think um, you know the other. I would say Braves and Philly. I agree with Jason. I think the Dodgers could be one of those. Um, since I picked the Giants to win that division. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Jason's three NL wild cards from his picks were Giants, Braves, Phillies as a semi-homer pick, although he also points out that the Cardinals would not surprise him as well. And frankly, the Cardinals would not surprise me either if they would sneak in. Yeah, I, and I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised just – I mean, given my division prediction, I wouldn't be surprised if the Brewers snuck in. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, given, given how good Josh Hader is going to be. And already has been this year. So, all right, Joe. So let's prognosticate a little further. Let's go to the championship series. Who are your N? What's your NLCS result? What's your ALCS result? Um, I, I'd say that that NLCS will be Giants and whoever wins the East. So I guess for my for mine it was the Mets. So. Giants Mets in the NLCS, and I think the Giants make it to the series. Okay. The How about the ALCS? AL, I think it's it's gonna be um, White Sox and Blue Jays, and then I think um, the the Blue Jays make it into the World Series. Okay. Um, my NLCS, I've got Braves over Dodgers because we're going to roll it back a third freaking season. Um, and then in the ALCS, I've got White Sox over the Blue Jays, um, c- you know, because pitching usually wins out in the postseason. Um, Jason said Blue Jays over Mariners, Dodgers over Brewers, and then changed his mind to Dodgers over Giants. Because Jason could make up his mind. Because I think Jason, for a second, thought that the Brewers actually had competent hitting, which we know they don't have. All right, Joe, what's your World Series pick? Uh, these are these are always fun. I, I'm going to go with the San Francisco Giants. All right, all right. I could I, I could see the Giants on it. Would not surprise me. I'm going for the first repeat in too many goddamn years. Braves over White Sox. Man. This is my shocked face. <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, is it a homer pick when it happens? Yes. <laughs> it's not expected to happen. Nobody's repeated in, what, 20 years? Uh, it's been a long time, yeah. yeah about that? 20, 21 years. And uh, Jason's saying Blue Jays throw it back to the early 90s and take it. Uh, honestly, I would not be at all surprised to see the Blue Jays do it. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate to see that either. I, that's an exciting team, and I freaking love watching Vlad Guerrero Jr. Yeah, I know, Jason. Not since the Yankees in the late – yeah, I know, 99, 2000. We know. We know. At least a three-peat got stopped thanks to uh, the Diamondbacks and their two-headed pitching monster of Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. Thank God for the Diamondbacks. And and, and the purple and teal uniforms, too. Don't forget the purple and teal uniforms. Dude, I liked those uniforms. I like them better than what the Diamondbacks have now, honestly. You know, purple's not used that much in Major League Baseball, so a little extra purple here and there is certainly not going to hurt anything. Although, I will say this, at least the Diamondbacks got rid of that hideous fake snakeskin crap jersey that was one of the ugliest things to ever grace a baseball field 
in the history of the game. Yep. Jason, I remember staying up for that because my mom yep. went from cheering to crying <laughs> immediately thereafter. I think I got sent to bed pretty quickly immediately after that when my uh, mom realized that the uh, Yankees finally lost and Mariano finally got cracked in the postseason. Although, let's that let, let's be honest here. That was a hell of a run for Mariano Rivera before somebody finally pushed a run across against him. Yeah. All right, Joe. It's that time. It's time for Cubby Rant time. Fire away, well, I mean, We're going to start off with some good stuff. We're going to start off with a recap, and then I'm going to, you know, let my feelings be known about my wonderful, wonderful, long-extended manager. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so some good things just early on. Um, Cubs offensively, um, your slash line for the Cubs, they lead in these categories. They're 281 average. Uh <laughs> 364 on base, 447 slugging, and OPS of 811. So they're really having a good year so far offensively. They have they went from the highest whiff rate to one of the lower ones. Surprise, surprise. What happens when you get rid of Javi Baez? Your whiff rate goes down exponentially. So, um, you know, that's offensively, they're in a good spot right now um hitting the ball um you know so that's that's exciting um th this pirates series um was was interesting to say the least um i, I call game one the no rossi game because he had to serve a suspension for uh throwing at mccutcheon last week um you know and, and that was a 2-1 win they they left five guys on base. They went 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position, which usually doesn't help you. Um, but, um, you know, Suzuki had two homers in that game. Um, you know, so – and that was the, the real – really the only offense in that game. Suzuki had two homers um, in game one. Uh, Drew Smiley, the much maligned Drew Smiley, um, went – Five innings, three hits, no runs, and a strikeout for the for the win, um, because Rossi didn't pull him before the fifth inning was over. Um, and uh, Dave Robertson, journeyman closer, who's with the Cubs this year now, uh, got in the save. Ian Happ has been on fire. He had a two for three day um, on Tuesday last week. Uh, Quintana for the Pirates was. Uh, went five and a third, five hits, one run, two walks, and three strikeouts. So Quintana didn't have a bad day. There just wasn't a ton of offense in this game in game one. Uh, but Suzuki is uh, is on fire. Um, his 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 first start to the the year here: ten hits, seven runs, two doubles, four homers, eleven RBIs, nine walks, and nine strikeouts. So he's seeing a ton of pitching, and he's seeing it clearly. So I'll take the strikeouts if you're going to walk nine times already. Uh, I mean, that's that's taking more pitches than Javi has taken in his entire career. Um, so Suzuki's line at this point, uh, batting 400, on base 543, 960 slugging, a 1503 OPS. So he's, again, really seeing the ball well, really exciting to watch hit. Um and he's getting used to fielding too. He's got Hayward in center, which is uh, 
Hayward isn't center because they don't have anybody else to play center. Um, not necessarily that he should be there, but that's the way it goes. Uh, <laughs> Jason, you're <laughs> killing me, man. You're killing me. Uh, um, you know, so so the no Rossi game, uh, again, um, Smiley gets the win there, and that's exciting. Uh, Ross comes back in game two, and the uh, Pirates proceed to win six to two. Um, so, you know, at the the Cubs in the in the Pirates series total have grounded into three double plays. For the week, they grounded into 12. Um, so they're hitting the ball all over the place, but they're hitting a lot of ground balls too, um, which which is a bit of a struggle for them. Um, so game two, Contreras went two for four, got his first home run, scored two runs in that game, uh, had a double as well. Suzuki had an RBI single, and that was just about it. Um, this gets into sort of the issue here, but Cabrian Hayes for the Pirates went four for four with two runs and RBI. Uh, ben Gamble hit a three-run homer for the Pirates. The Pirates went for three for seven with runners in scoring position, which is what you need to do to win games, especially these kind of ones. Uh, Hendricks went three and two thirds, uh, seven hits, six runs, all earned, um, four walks, four strikeouts, and a homer. Um, it was five to two after the third inning, um, and Rossi put him back out there after clearly for three innings. It, you know, if you watch a lot of this, Kyle's just not locating down like he needs to in this game. He's not getting swings on his changeup and and his you know, his sinkers and stuff were getting too much of the plate. So, um, you know, he, he was he was really struggling through three. And and for some reason, my wonderful esteemed manager decides to put him back out there, um, you know, and, t- and then pulls him in, in three and two thirds. So, I mean, this is, again, the Pirates pitched really well. Their bullpen went five innings, two walks, one hit, and six strikeouts. Um, so the bullpen was really good for them, um, which was exciting to, to, to not for me, but it's good for the Pirates to have something. Will Crow was went three innings on the save, uh, which two in, two inning saves are are hard to come by, but three innings that's that's impressive work. Um, so a hat tip to Will Crow for the Pirates on that one. That's the. Joe, you muted yourself, bud. <laughs> Sorry about that. You um, cut yourself off. Try again. When did I cut myself off? So that's cut, 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 cut. <laughs> <laughs> you know that that's the the pirate series. You know, splitting that series, I'm not too upset about. Um, I, I would love to take two, but I kind of figured they would split that series this early on. Um, you know, playing in PNC. So, uh, which is a beautiful ballpark. And Wilson's homer, I don't know if it hit the river or not. Um, it was pretty close in center yeah. field there. If it didn't make it in the air, it definitely bounced in because he smoked that one. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then going into this Rocky series, nine double plays that they grounded into throughout the four games, which 
is is a bad thing, but it's also they're they're hitting better in general than they used to. Like they were they were a you know big hits and that's it or strikeouts kind of team for so long, and now they're more of a you know spray the ball over the fields you know type of small ball type of game. So uh, it's it's different to watch. It's nice to see them not strike out so much. Um, you know, uh, you know they had more walks probably this week than Javi had in his career, and same thing with Seah and everybody else. So, well, I mean, that's why strikeouts are down. Javi's playing in Detroit. <laughs> Who would have thought getting rid of one guy would drop our our strikeout rate so low? Um, <laughs> the the game one on Thursday with the Rockies, uh, Cubs win this one five to two. Justin Steele continues to pitch really well. Uh, four and a third, five hits, two runs, two walks, four strikeouts. Currently has a one nine three ERA. So that's, you know, I, I was high on him last year. I'm really excited to see what he can do right now. Um, but he goes four and a third and seems to be pitching pretty well. And what is what does my manager do when a pitcher's pitching well? He pulls him. <laughs> so he pulls him. He doesn't qualify for the win. Uh, after. Um, a, a third of an inning from um, one of the one of the bullpen guys, Keegan Thompson comes in, goes three and a third, three hits and a strikeout to to close the door. Givens gets the save with an inning pitch, one hit, two strikeouts. Um, Madrigal and VR went two for four in this game each. They both scored a run. Uh, VR is really starting to hit the ball well, so is Madrigal. So I'm really excited to see what this team can do. Um, you know, Hap continues to impress. And my boy Schwindy City, Frank the Tank Schwindel, got in on the action this weekend. Uh, Thursday hit his first homer of the year, went two for four. Um, again, this game itself, they grounded into four double plays on Thursday. So I, I know I'm going to talk about this a ton, but it's it's one of those things that we're seeing with this new look offense they have. The Rockies on Thursday left 12 guys on base and went one for seven with runners in scoring position. Um, so that's the story of game one. Game two, they lose this one six to five. Stroman didn't bring his best. He went four innings, six hits, five runs, a walk, four strikeouts, and a homer. And, and pitch count-wise, he had 39 pitches in his first three innings total. He threw 41 in the fourth inning. He looked noticeably uncomfortable. He couldn't locate for crap. Um, you know, and – Again, what does my manager do? Leaves him in there. Uh, you know, so I, it's just really frustrating to watch, to be honest with you. Um, Wilson went three for five in this game. VR went two for three. Wisdom went two for two and finally started hitting the ball. Um, CJ Crone for the Rockies had a home run in the fifth of this game and really kind of blew this game away, um, you know, and blew it out of the water. Um, so it's, you know, you can't – you go five for 15, you leave 12 guys on, you're not going to win a game. <laughs> and when your pitching is so poorly managed as it is, um, you know, you're, you're not going to have success there. Uh, KB, the first two games for the Rockies in this in this series, went uh, four for nine, you know, scored a couple of runs. So he looked pretty good offensively. Um, I don't miss him, but sometimes I do. Um, if he's going to hit like this, but, uh, you know, 
it wasn't a contract year. So I guess, you know, I get, I get a couple of good years out of him and then someone else gets the other seven. So you got a ring out of him. Yeah, I know. One should have had three. Should have had I'm three. Greedy. I'm yeah, greedy. I'm one for the first time since the early 1900s. I mean, that's got to count for something, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw somebody at the grocery store the other day. I had my sweatshirt on and they said, Hey, you won. And I said, he said first time a hundred years. And I said, I said 108, but who's counting? <laughs> I said, Ho hopefully it's not another hundred. So um, anyway, so they split game one and two. Game three, um, Mark Leiter Jr. made his debut for them, went three and a third, um, you know, had uh, five hits, seven runs, four walks. So he just, he didn't really get comfortable in this game. And I think looked good for two innings and then, you know, Rossi tries to let him go three and good luck. Um, but uh, the big story of this one, VR was four for five again, three ribbies. Uh, Suzuki, two for three, two runs. Wisdom, three for four. So, again, some of these bats are starting to come alive. Sanzatella pitched really well for Colorado uh, and got the win in this game. C.J. Crone had a two-run homer. Um, you know, that, and that's sort of when the wheels fall off and, and then you leave a pitcher in when you shouldn't. So. Um, those were those runs were in the third inning, uh, the CJ Crone home run. I think they had four runs in that inning, and and for some reason you put them out for another, you know, another third of an inning. I, I don't get it, but hey, um, Cubs tried to fight back in this game, but they were just down too far uh, to win this game. So game four Sunday, um, Drew Smiley four and two thirds, um, an inning pitch, four hits, no runs. Uh, one walk and four strikeouts. So he's really pitching well um, in these early starts. Um, I know it's early, but hey, he's it pitching well. I'll take it. Um, it won't last. I can promise you that. I'm not expecting it to necessarily, but I got to take what I can get. Um, he threw 40% of his pitches were curveballs in Sunday's game. So he's throwing the curveball a lot more than he's throwing everything else. Um, and he was seem seeming to have some success with that. But – after 74 pitches and one out away from the win, we pull them. Why? I don't know. Um, we're lucky enough to win these games, but, you know, it's just really stupid. I, I, you know, we win this game. I'm, I'm happy with the offense. I'm happy with, you know, with what we're getting out of some of these guys finally coming to life with the bat. But I'm just so disappointed in a guy who is behind the dish for – Two World Series, if I'm not mistaken. Um, at least one Hall of Fame pitcher, maybe two down the line that he caught. And somehow still doesn't know how to manage pitching. Like, I, I don't understand this. I, I don't get it. How, how can you have a guy who, who struggles through three innings Struggles through three innings and go put him out for the fourth inning. Um, you know, and you have a guy who's not struggling for four and two thirds and you pull him and don't let him get the win. I realize you don't care about, you care more about team wins than pitcher wins, but God damn it. Let these guys throw. It's ridiculous. I'm so tired of it. I'm so tired of being angry at who my manager is. <laughs> you know, Joe Madden drove me crazy. Because he did stupid things, you know, and strange things and things. Hey, it worked, but it was weird. 
David Ross just drives me absolutely bonkers. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't understand how a guy who was that talented as a catcher and talented enough to catch John Lester and, and other, you know, successful, you know, Hall of Fame level pitchers, World Series winning pitchers can be so crappy and terrible as a manager. <laughs> Seriously, I, I don't understand this. Can somebody help me? <laughs> so, for the record, you were correct. Two World Series titles. Uh, he, he was uh, with Boston in thirteen as well. Um, <laughs> no, man, I can't help you. First of all, first of all, can, can I just say anybody who throws a rookie out there for their first start on the road in freaking Colorado? What the hell is up with that? You literally throw them to the most whacked out, screwed up ballpark in Major League Baseball and say, oh, hey, kid, good luck. If, if you're going to do that, <laughs> if you're going to do that, he throws two good innings, get him out of there. Like, don't don't give these guys a second bite at, at a rookie pitcher who's making this first start <laughs> at Coors Field. Yeah, that's you know, I, I, I do not understand that. I, I will never understand that that one right there, personally. I don't understand it. I don't <laughs> understand leaving Kyle in when he's clearly not throwing well against Pittsburgh. I don't understand leaving Stroman in there when he's just having a terrible freaking day locating after the first two innings. Like, you know, the, the guys I was listening to, these guys are the um, – CH Go Cubs podcast on Spotify, and they were just helping me to kind of feel a little bit better about how the offense is doing. But like, you know, and I'm impressed with what they're doing. But the the way that he's managing pitchers is just like there's no explaining that away, man. Like, you you don't leave these guys in longer than you should. Like, it's a feeling. You can't look at numbers with this stuff. You have to just go look. He's clearly not locating right. They're clearly hitting him all over the damn place. Let's get him out of there. And he just doesn't have that feel yet. I'm, I'm hoping he gets it, but I don't expect it to get to happen. You know, I, you know, you want to chalk it up to not having a regular, standard regular season so far. Fine, but at, at some point, you have to adapt. You have to understand and learn and grow with the game. And for someone to have been successful enough to win two World Series titles behind the plate, how the hell does he not understand pitching? The world may never know. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's Sorry. move on. No, that's no, that's exactly what I was hoping for. I I, I love a good what the hell is David Ross doing this week rant. <laughs> it, it, it gets me going, not gonna lie. All right, uh, I'll, I'll step in for Jay, for uh, Jason here since he's not here to do his Phillies. Uh, it, it was uh, you can't sugarcoat this. Last week for the Phillies sucked. They dropped two or three to the Mets. Um, they won the first game of the series despite some of the most horrific displays of fielding that has been seen on a Major League Baseball field this season. Um, Alec Baum made three errors, all throwing errors. Was caught on camera saying, "Quote: I fucking hate this place." He did now. They brought it up to him in post game. He did admit to it. He said, 
uh, emotions got the best of me and that he did not mean any offense towards the franchise or the fans. He said, quote, I said it. Do I mean it? No. It's a frustrating night for me, obviously. Made a few mistakes in the field. Look, these are people, these fans, they just want to win. You heard it. We came back. They're great. I'm just sorry to them I didn't mean that. Uh, you got to give Baum credit for at least stepping up and you know admitting that he said it and then apologizing about it. Yeah, apologizing and probably not meaning it wholeheartedly. I don't blame him for that. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, what do you expect Philly fans to do when you make three glaringly bad throwing errors? <sighs> that, Terrible that errors. Your, that cost, that give the team extra outs, and then you make a routine play and get a standing ovation, you know, joking standing ovation for making a routine play. I mean – and then the. But the next night when he came into pinch hit, he got what I th- I think it was a legit standing ovation from the fans the next night for that one. Yeah, um, I think fan- fans appreciate a good mea culpa. And I think, you know, owning owning your crap and owning your baggage and owning your mistakes, um, fans appreciate that. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and yeah, I think definitely emotions got the best of him. But um, I, I don't necessarily – you know, I'm not surprised by that. I mean, man, honestly, if I made three freaking throwing errors in three innings or whatever the hell it was, I would probably say something along the lines of, I fucking hate this too, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Jason. Took more quick accountability and owned it, unlike Ben Simmons. (laughs) Recapping some of of Jason's notes here. Uh, This week for the Phillies was a bunch of garbage around a crazy comeback in game one versus the Mets and offensive explosion in game three versus the fish. Uh, Yeah. It was a bunch of garbage is pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, Team couldn't, couldn't score, which is surprising when they're built for offense, Um, (laughs) you know, and, and the starters, they just, you know, they're still having a rough go. Like a lot of these starting pitchers are with trying to finally get, loose enough to go seven eight nine innings yeah Uh, you know i brought this up last week joe the phillies need to force themselves to rely on small ball and not go for the big home run all the time because it's it that's going to dry up look at the reds in 2020 where they were completely boom or bust and had but again granted with the short season by far the highest percentage of runs scored off of a home run compared to any other team in history all right, so moving on in that game, I, the Mets game one, the Mets bullpen melted down late, kind of like the Phillies bullpen's done for the last five or six years. Um, uh, Real Muto hit a beautiful two two run homer in the eighth. Hoskins and uh, DD they had run scoring doubles. Uh, that game, that that that's not a game you typically expect the Phillies to win, trailing four nothing in the eighth, but they scored five runs to come back and win it. Now something that definitely hurt the Mets, Taewon Walker, he was absolutely dominating the Phillies, but they had to pull him after two innings because of uh, the right shoulder irritation. Then, like I mentioned, he later went on to the IR. Um, and as Jason would like to point out, they didn't score before the eighth inning for about three or four straight games. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunately true there too. Game two was a 2 nothing loss. Uh, McGill, he has been brilliant filling in for DeGrom, as we mentioned. Five and a third, three hits, no walks, five strikeouts. Um, Wheeler was shaky, but he did help hold on Got himself out of some jams. He only gave up one run in four and two thirds. He only struck out three. Um, Nemo's homer on Wheeler chased him in the fifth. Lindor also knocked in an insurance run in the eighth. 
Uh, Diaz picked up his first save for the Mets this season. Interestingly, the Phillies decided to start former Braves play anywhere in the infield, Johan Camargo for Baum because Obama had three freaking errors in game one. And uh, that didn't really go so well for the Phillies, unfortunately, because although it wasn't recorded as an error um, on what should have been a pretty routine 5-4-3 double play, a uh, very bad throw to second base. It pulled Stott off the bag now. Stott recovered. He got the force out, so an error was not recorded to Camargo. But uh, it, that should have been a freaking double play right there. That was terrible fielding. Um, it... <laughs> <laughs> Jason rubbing the salt in the wounds, whether he's on air live or not. <laughs> Brad and Miller, three home runs <laughs> at Wrigley Field. Yes, I remember it well. <laughs> and then in the uh, third game of the series, the Phillies uh, got beaten down 9-6. Uh, Scherzer, he was in an early jam, but then settled in like he usually does. One run, five hits, seven strikeouts in five innings. Um, Pete Alonso decided to wake up and have a monstrous game in that when he had a home run, two doubles, and five RBIs. Uh, Nemo had a solo home run off Nola. Nola kind of looking like last season. Nola three and third, three earned runs, three hits, three walks, five strikeouts. Every Phillies pitcher, except for Alvarado, gave up at least one run in that game. And uh, Segura left the game after a hit by pitch. I believe he's day to day right now. And Harper had a Harper style home run solo shot in the ninth inning. Um, oh, I, I had the game went. wrong. Sorry, Jason. Yes, I do remember the price walk off. You're right. <laughs> I was about to say it didn't happen in that game. That was a solo shot in that one. All right, moving on to the Marlins. Uh, the Phillies kryptonite, uh, the Miami Marlins or Florida Marlins, doesn't matter which iteration of the Marlins. Outside of the years where the Phillies were contending for World Series titles, the Marlins have always unfortunately played the Phillies very, very tough. So they dropped three of four. Game one was the Marlins home opener, which, you know, home opener team tends to play better. They lost that one 4-3. And they were facing known Philly killer Sandy Alcantara. He looked really sharp, six and a third, two runs, seven hits, five strikeouts, only walked a guy. Uh, Joey Wendell, he had a pretty good series. He had two RBIs in that game. Garrett Cooper had his first homer for the season. Um, Harper tried like hell to bring this team back in, three RBIs. Uh, JT Real Muto, he reached base five times, four singles and a walk. I mean, that's a great night. Um, Gibson, not the sharp night for him. Five hits, four runs allowed in four and two-thirds. He walked three. He did strike out six. Crazy stat from that game. 67th time in Bryce Harper's career, he has had three or more RBIs. In those games, his teams are 61 and six. That's a hell of a stat. Um, Alcantara, first Marlins pitcher to pitch into the seventh inning this season. Not really surprised by that. Uh, like I said, Segura is still day-to-day. Coonrod -day. Uh, got bumped to the 60-day IL. What, Joe, craziest number you're going to see all night. Miami for their home opener. 31,184 fans. I wonder how many of them had to be bribed to go to the game. That's the that, biggest. Does that count as a sellout for them or what? No, it doesn't. It's the biggest crowd since opening day in 18. Their capacity is 36,742. So even with liberal bribe money probably paid out to the Miami fans, they were still 5,000 plus short of a sellout. <laughs> Jason doesn't want to talk about the Marlins series, so we'll do it for him. Uh, yeah, game, I, the go ahead, Joe. With this series is like last year and and – really the last two years it's just been they've just been 
killers for no reason um, against the Phillies. Um, it, it, Alcantara has pitched out of his mind pretty much every time he's played them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's it's strange how they how they get up for a few teams, and it's I mean it's good competitively, but it's just you know these these are the kind of games you have to win. Um, you know, if you're the Phillies, and these are the ones they really can't lose. Um, you know, they can't they can't lose these series the way they have been. Um, you know, a couple other notes we're you know from from Jason in in the chat. Um, he wouldn't mind Alec Bowman hitting. We just don't want him in third base, and I couldn't agree with that anymore. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you, the 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 time for him to play third base is over. Um, you know, you got to have him DH or give Hoskins a day off. Um, you know, maybe just catching balls he can do. Maybe throwing is just not his strong suit. Um, we'll see what happens. They tried him at first last year. It wasn't pretty. Yeah, these guys. I think I think these you know, the Philly hitters will come around. They'll figure out. You know, small ball and long ball. They'll figure it all out. I'm not too worried about it. Um, I think. As as the season goes on and these injuries start to to mount up across the league, um, hitters and pitchers, I think you'll see a lot of adjustments. Um, you'll see a lot of changes, and I think there'll be. I, I'm not too stressed about the Phillies. I, I I'm not in panic mode just yet. I, I, and Jason's obviously thinking that same thing. He's not quite in panic mode yet, but um, it it really needs to get you know more productive offensively. Yet, yeah, not to sound like a broken record from last week to this week, we are two weeks in. It is too soon to panic. It's too soon to celebrate. I say that for every team with a few exceptions. The A's are done. The Reds are done. Uh, you know, the, the bottom the bottom, the bottom, bottom third of the league, you know, and you know who you are, the Orioles and a couple others. You guys know Diamondbacks. You guys know who you are. You guys are done. For everybody else, relax, breathe. It's still early. A lot will change between now and October. Yeah, it's it's too early for 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 panic, but it's not too early to hate your manager. Oh, it's never too early to hate your manager. <laughs> never, 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 ever. Um. So in that second game, uh, it was a seven to one loss. Uh, Jesus Sanchez had a triple for the second straight game, along with a double and two RBIs. Pablo Lopez pitched well, uh, five and a third, four hits, two strikeouts, two walks. That was Pablo Lopez's first freaking victory for the Marlins since July 11th last year. Um, Aguilar three RBIs with two sacrifice flies and a single. Now Aguilar. He was the Marlins RBI leader last season and had not up until that point had any RBIs this season. So he's finally getting going. Uh, Castellano solo shot for the Phillies in the eighth. The Phillies went 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position. You know, just like you mentioned, Joe, if you do that, you're not going to score runs. You're not going to win games. Uh, Schwarber at that point was 1 for 28 after recording two hits in the opener. And one of my favorite guys to watch uh, across all of baseball, Jazz Chisholm Jr., uh, dude is electric. He is fun to watch. Two RBIs and a triple in the second. Um, Eflin, not a great outing. Four innings, four runs, uh, six hits, four strikeouts, and a walk. In the third game of the series, the Phillies offense finally woke up. They won that one big 10-3. to three. Harper, a double, two RBIs, two walks. He stole home. 
Um, Alec Bohm, two hits and three RBIs. Castellanos, two singles and an RBI. Flipping around the R- the RISP, the Phillies went seven for 12. Much better. Suarez, five innings, uh, two runs, six hits, four strikeouts, three walks. I mean, the walks are a touch high, but he was being aggressive in that game. He was pounding the strike zone and was having good results with it. Uh, the Phillies jumped on Rodgers, not surprisingly. Seven runs allowed, four hits, three strikeouts, four walks. He only made through an inning in two-thirds. I think his first inning was like 40 pitches long. So the fact that Mattingly even ran him back out there for the second inning is uh, it's a little surprising. Um, but at least he didn't pull a Rossi and try and push him through two or three when he clearly didn't have it going. That was Rogers' seventh straight loss since uh, June 10th of last year. Um, and that that home that Harper stole, brilliant play. Castellanos gets caught in a rundown trying to steal second. Harper, good heads-up play, steals home. Um, in that game, Jorge Soler had his uh, first home run since his, the uh, moonshot in Game 6 of the World Series last year, which I believe is still in orbit last time I checked. Um, Avisel Garcia also had his first home run since signing with the Marlins as well. Uh, Real Muto, not so good that night, over 5 with 4 strikeouts as uh, Girardi tried to put him at leadoff because Schwarber was sucking at leadoff. Um, yeah, that, yeah, Jason, that was one of the funkiest plays you're going to see. And, you know, it's the kind of thing, if you try that in the show, both of your guys are going to be out and it'll be a double play every time. The, the, the crazy, the funny thing about that is I think Castellanos was safe getting back to first and the second baseman took out the first baseman. Yeah, it, it was a hilarious comedy of, uh, mishaps, which, for, for a team with defense as bad as the Phillies have, that had to be nice seeing that from other teams. <laughs> Jason agrees. And then the, uh, the the Phillies ended the week on an utter flop, losing 11-3. to A Jazz Chisholm, career game. He had a double, a triple, three RBIs. Sanchez had three hits and two RBIs. Elisir Hernandez pitched really well, six innings, five hits, a run allowed, five strikeouts. Harper had another solo homer for the Phillies and an RBI double in the seventh. Um, Sanchez, man, he had a huge series against the Phillies. Seven for 15, two doubles, two triples, five RBIs. And the crazy thing, Joe, is I don't even think he made my hot list because there were guys that did better than that. Um, Schwarber did break out of his one for 28 funk. He had a single and a solo homer, so we'll see if he can keep that going. Wheeler, he didn't have, he got shelled three innings, eight hits, seven earned runs. Again, he's still working back. I'm not worried about Wheeler. Give him another start or two. He'll probably get back to his normal self pretty soon. All right. And, uh, Jason, it looks like it's bedtime for him now that the, uh, agony of the Phillies is over. So, uh, Jason, we, we do appreciate the comments. It was absolutely hilarious having you on trying to trip Joe up as he was ranting. All right. All right. So let's move on to Atlanta. Uh, Joe, I'm sorry, Joe, anything else about the Phillies? I think we pretty well touched on. No, we, we've, we've pretty well hit, hit, hit around the, the bases there with what happened for them. So D- dead horse is dead. I'd say so. All right, we'll move on. Um, Atlanta, not 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 a great week. Not as bad as the Phillies, thank God, but not not the best week. Uh, one and two versus the Nationals. Um, game one was a blowout, eleven two loss. Uh, Oscar, you know, absolutely ineffective. He gave up five earned runs in three innings. Um, Davidson, who was supposed to be the starter the next day, but had to come in late because, uh, you know, it only survived three innings, got shelled as well. Um, the Braves pitching was wild as hell that night. Five walks, a wild pitch and a hit by a hit batsman. Uh, you know, his first pit, first pitch for strikes five for 18. 
That's uh, that's terrible. Um, Mikel Franco had a great game. He always hits Atlanta really well. Four for five, a double, a homer, and five RBIs. Jesus, let's move on. Game two, the Braves came back and blew the Nationals out 16-4 to four because uh, blowout meets blowout. And the pitching fortunes, they completely did a 180. The Nats knocked, walked nine this time, and Atlanta only walked one. Ozuna had two solo homers to go along with a double. Seven hitters recorded an RBI. Six recorded double uh, two-plus RBIs. Every Atlanta starter recorded a hit. Juan Soto did have a solo home run. That was his 100th of his career. Congratulations, Mr. Soto. There will be many more where that came from because uh, – uh, people are just going to try and pitch to him, even though, let's be realistic, they should probably walk him most of the time. Um, and also, Josh Bell had a home run as well as they chased Bryce Elder. That, that was a pair of solo shots in the sixth. Late in the game, you know, you know, you bring in a position player to pitch because you have to. Um, a- absolutely hilarious moment in the game. Uh, D. Strange Gordon, you probably know him better as D. Gordon before he added uh, his uh, – the that first last name um, came into pitch. Travis Darno is the plate. Gordon hit him with a 52 mile an hour pitch. And uh, Darno had this dramatic flop that would have been the envy of NBA players everywhere. Freaking beautiful flop. Um, Bryce Elder, that was actually his major league debut. He did pick up the win. He only allowed three runs, six hits, four strikeouts, and five and two thirds. Solid outing, honestly, just short of a quality start. Um, Patrick Corbin, he has now lost seven straight starts to Atlanta. Uh, he has not won a start with against Atlanta since September 6th of 2019, and he's got a 7.25 ERA over that time. So needless to say, I love facing Patrick Corbin, and now that I say that, he's probably going to throw a freaking shutout next time. And then yep. in the last – yeah, I, yeah. Let, let, just chalk it up now. And then the last game of the series is a 3-1 loss. Uh, you know, in this game, Nationals pitching was just tremendous. They only gave up three hits and three walks for the whole game. Um, Freed a little bit shaky still, seven hits, three runs, although only two were earned and five and a third. Looked better than his opening day start. Um, but, you know, it, here's the thing with Freed. He is a better second-half pitcher than first-half pitcher, and that's been hit consistent for his whole career, so I'm not worried. He'll figure it out. Um, Gray pitched really well for the Nationals. One hit, didn't allow a run, three walks, and five strikeouts in five. Um, Riley provided the only home run for Atlanta, a home run in the sixth. And he had an infield single in the ninth, but then freaking Ozuna ground into a double play to end the game. Um, slight injury scare. Freed was struck in the leg by Nelson Cruz grounder, but he was uninjured and able to keep going. Then Atlanta headed out west because MLB hates Atlanta this year to start the se- to start this season. Even before the lockout screwed up the schedule, um, Atlanta Joe they opened the year with let me think four eight eleven I think fifteen straight games something like that before they have an off day as they are underway right now in Los Angeles against the Dodgers. Yeah, I utter horse crap scheduling to start the season. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say that and leave it there. I'm not making excuses, but what the hell that's bullshit. All right. So game one, the Braves got blown out 12 to one Manny Machado. He freaking went off five for five, four runs, two RBIs, two stolen bases. Eric Hosmer had four hits, voided three RBIs and Joe Musgrove. Now this was all, again, this was the Padres home opener. Uh, he pitched really well in six and two thirds. He gave up four hits and six strikeouts and didn't walk anybody. Charlie Morton struggled five innings, five runs, nine hits, five strikeouts, and he hit two guys as well. Although he did pick up his 1500 strikeout. So congratulations to Charlie. Too bad it wasn't with a win. Um, Ozzy always had a solo homer in the ninth and the fielding was dog crap. 
Uh, Rosario made two fielding errors. Ozzie made a throwing error. So Atlanta of those of those twelve runs allowed, four of the there were four unearned runs in that game. I, you know, nothing's going to frustrate your pitching staff more than terrible defense and extending these innings that shouldn't be extended. Um, game two, Kyle Wright, brilliant again, a 5-2 win. He went five innings, five hits, two earned runs, and nine strikeouts, although he got a no decision. Um, all the hitters except for Olsen and Swanson had hits, and Olsen and Swanson still got on with walks. Riley went two for five with a double and two runs. Duvall went one for four with a double and two RBIs. And uh, Duvall's double, that was in the eighth inning. It was the tie-breaking runs. Um, Machado still on fire, three for four, two, uh, double and an RBI. Joe, this is a stat you're not going to see hardly at all in this day and age. Braves pitching for this game, 16 strikeouts to zero walks. You almost never see that anymore. Um, Jansen picks up his first save with Atlanta, and uh, Mackenzie Gore made his rookie debut for the Padres. Uh, his debut did not go as well as uh, Captain Flamethrower with the Reds. Uh, he, two runs allowed, three hits, five and a third, three strikeouts, two walks. Um, he, you know, kind of similar against the Reds. First strikeout was to Ozzie Albies. Later in the game, Ozzie Albies said, nope, not doing that again, and hit a home run off him. Same thing with uh, Olsen earlier against the Reds. So that was eh, entertaining, at least. Game three was a 5-2 to two win. Ian Anderson, five, it, it, location was back, and it showed uh, five and two-thirds. He struck out seven and only walked one, allowed two hits. Uh, Swanson's bat finally started to wake up, two for four with a pair of doubles and a run scored. Um, Ozuna, Olsen, and Albies all hit solo homers. For the Padres, Profar and Grisham hit home runs. Machado, they finally freaking figured him out. 0 for 4, 2 strikeouts. Um, great pitching by the Braves, 11 strikeouts to 1 walk. Um, there should have been one more home run, though. Manny Pena blasted 1 to center, and uh, Grisham made a tremendous leaping catch on the wall. Hey, it, it's going to happen. you got to tip your hat to the, to the outfielder on that one. Um, Jansen picked up his second save after that one. And then to end the week, it was a uh, pitching. It was hard pitching on Sunday, two to one loss. You Darvish, man. I, I wish you was still with Chicago right now. So we didn't face him in that game. Six and two thirds, four hits, one earned run, eight strikeouts, no walks. Bryce Elder, uh, great start earlier this week. Not so good that time. Pretty wild. Two earned runs, three hits, five walks and three strikeouts and four and a third. Um, Spencer Strider, I give him a lot of credit. That was he came in for three and two thirds long relief, struck out three, walk three. I mean, you know, when you get to that point, a little bit of wildness isn't surprising. Um, Rogers picked up his fourth save already for San Diego. Duvall and Olsen had doubles. Ozuna hit the solo home run. Uh, Nolan Cronworth had two RBI singles for the uh, Padres. And hey, Machado went over four. Riley went over three. The big bat, the the two big guys that usually help move those lineups weren't doing anything. My thoughts again. It's early. This this is not the long term lineup for Atlanta. Once Acuna's back, he's going to go right back in the leadoff, and uh, you know it's going to shift everybody back. He'll probably help everybody out. To be completely honest with you, uh, Matt Olson. Holy crap! That dude's been everything we were hoping for. Ozuna looks like he's back in 2020 form. Riley's cooling down a little bit, but he's still getting good ball striking and high MPH off the bat. So, you know, it, a lot of, honestly, Joe, what, what Atlanta's lineup's reminding me right now is Freddie last year in April when Freddie was smashing the ball all over the place, but there was a fielder there every time to catch it. And look, Freddie still got back up to 298 by the end of the year. 
So I, you know, I'm not worried about Atlanta's lineup. It's still early. Everybody's going to be fine. Um, the, the pitching, a, a lot of stuff looked better. I'm not happy with getting blown out twice that last week. Here's my thing. I am not at all convinced that Wasker, you know, being a starter long-term, he's basically a fastball slider pitcher and you cannot survive an MLB as a two pitch pitcher as a starter. But that said, Kyle Wright, pleasant surprise. And uh, Acuna is starting his AAA rehab assignment tomorrow. So, hey, things are moving. Uh, any other thoughts for Atlanta, Joe? Um, you brought up you know, I'm, I'm curious because this is his second start, I think, that he's not really been effective in both starts so far this year. Um, and, and I wonder how much of that goes back to last year year and in the postseason and rearranging your rotation to not give him an opportunity to pitch in the postseason. Um, not that it matters because you won the series, but um, did, did that do um, some detriment to him as a player in developing? Um, you know, did that do some detriment to him with the short spring training to not really get up to speed? I, I don't think, I think you're right. Most two pitch, uh, pitchers don't make it long-term as a starter. So I do think that's a concern for them. Uh, and and I wonder, again, I wonder how much of the you know, mess goes back to last year um, and some of the issues there. Um, it, it doesn't help that they don't have some of those other guys. You know, I think offensively they're fine right now. Um, Acuna is going to make them, you know, better and push them over the edge, hopefully, at least offensively. Um, and I hope that he, he has a really good bounce back year when he does come back. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see just how good he is, um, when he comes back. But uh, like you said, it's too early to freak out. And I think, um, these, these East coast, West coast trips are getting a little ridiculous already. Um, you know, Cubs were in. Pittsburgh, and then they were in Colorado, and then they were back home today with no day off. Um, you know, and and Tampa, you'll this is really weird. Tampa Bay was in playing the White Sox in town over the weekend, and all they had to do was go the other side of town to play the Cubs for the for this week. So you have teams like that who are getting a really convenient schedule, and then you have teams like like ours that are going from East Coast to you know, mountain or West coast and then back it's, it's a little ridiculous. Yeah, it, I, I, I mean, I think, I think honestly, I think MLB would do a lot of good if they would stay South and West for most of April. Yeah. Like college baseball does where they play February and March in Florida pretty much. Um, you know, I think that would really, help the game a bit I, I think um you know you have a lot of pitchers who have struggled here this first two weeks um you know for me stroman in particular who who's who relies on a lot of breaking and a lot of movement and you're not going to get that at altitude and you're not going to get that when it's 30 degrees out um you know i think that's a bit of a of an issue that major league baseball has yet to fix yeah it's the scheduling baffles me every year. What 
permutations, computations they do to come up with it. Every single year, I'm like, this does. There's at least three or four teams where I'm like, the hell. I mean, look at Atlanta and um, the Mets September schedule. Like they, those two teams have two of the absolute worst September schedules I have seen in a very long time. Um, Atlanta's basically playing almost the straight through and a ton of road games, a ton of West, like they have to go out to like their home for, they've got the, they, the Rockies ending, and then they've got three at the Marlins and a day off. And then they're out in the West coast. They've got two with Oakland, three at, at Seattle, three at San Francisco day off three at home with Philly, three at home with the Nats. Four on the road with Philly, three on the road with the Nats, and then three at home for the Mets. Like, what is this garbage? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little bit of a mess, I think. But um, why another Western? Did- like, why, why don't we do a better job of grouping and blocking these damn coasts for the teams that are on the East and the West? Just just to make it easier for both sets, do a better job of having. There shouldn't be this much back and forth. Like, do no, most of your West Coast at once, do most of your East Coast at once, and then call it. This is dumb. I mean, I guarantee you the, the you know, folks in the Marlins would rather play in D.C., Philly, and Queens in September than they would rather play there in August. They're playing yeah. Florida in August and September. I mean, they would, they would rather play those games in, in New York and D.C. and Philly than, than play there. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. All right, Joe, let's move on to the hot players. All right, my hot hitters for this past week. I've got Starling Marte. He had a 292-346-542 slash line. He had eight runs scored, two homers, six RBIs, and two stolen bases. Um, I have Jose Ramirez of the Guardians, which still doesn't sound right to say, especially with the most juvenile minor league logo you could have come up with. Ramirez, 478, 519, 913 slash line. He had three runs, two homers, 11 RBIs, 11 hits, two doubles, and a triple. Also, two walks, no strikeouts. I'm, I've got Trey Turner, uh, six runs, a homer, six RBIs, two steals, 363, 93, 560 slash line, along with nine hits, a triple, two walks, five strikeouts. I have uh, Marcelo Zuna from Atlanta. 333, 333, 767 slash line, five runs, four home runs, six RBIs, uh, 10 singles and a double. And then my last one was Bryce Harper, a 269, 375, 615 slash line, six runs, two homers, eight RBIs and a stolen base to go seven hits and three doubles. Um, and then I honestly, my, my two just off the cusp, uh, Ozzy Albies, Manny Machado, holy crap, they, they had tremendous weeks, um, as did uh, Jesus Sanchez and uh, Jazz Chisholm. Anybody else for you on the hot hitter list? No, you pretty much hit them all. I mean, Chisholm had had probably one of the best weeks of his career, I think, Yeah, um, last no week. It was, it. it was incredible. Um, you know, we, we talked about him a bunch under the Cubs, but Suzuki has been lights out. Um, really disciplined at the play. It's been fun to watch. Um, NL player of the week for the week last week. Uh, mm-hmm. Well-deserved, and, and it's it's a joy to watch him play baseball. Um, 
you know, so you, you hit pretty much all the top, top hitters. Um, one player I'd like to point out defensively, um, Alonzo made some nice plays in the, in the Mets series over the weekend as if to shoot my prediction in the foot early on here. Um, and the other guy, uh, Reese McGuire with the uh, White Sox, he's the catcher for them behind Grandall. And he was catching on Friday. Um, Hendricks was in there closing the game and did a masterful job behind the plate, blocking curveballs and, and sliders and everything else. Um, really just impressive. I, I, I look for, for big things from him. So, Yeah, absolutely. Good picks. Um, for pitchers, I have um, Alec Manoa of the of the Blue Jays, a guy whose name I didn't think I'd be calling this early on. He picked up two wins and two quality starts, 13 strikeouts, 12 innings, 150 ERA, and a .92 whip. Um, I had Andrew Heaney of the Dodgers. He had picked up a win this week, 16 strikeouts, 10 and a third, 0 ERA, .68 whip. Um, Clayton Kershaw, how could we not after that uh, clusterfuck from Dave Roberts, which we already touched on. Um, I'm, I have Nestor Cortez again. I couldn't not put him on there. Nine innings, 17 strikeouts, uh, .75 whip. He only allowed six hits in that time. That's freaking incredible in two starts. And I also had Verlander this week. Um, he, he did pick up his win in his only start, eight and two-thirds, eight strikeouts. Um, a zero ER and a point thirty eight whip, uh, or did he have two start? No, he only had one start this week. All right, um, Joe, who is the adulting reliever of the week? So, so we've got a couple of them here. Uh, Jordan Romano for the Blue Jays, and this is the weekend opening weekend, so it's like ten day window here. Um, six for six and save opportunities. Six innings pitched, so effective and efficient. Uh, three hits, no runs, a walk, six strikeouts, uh, a .67 whip, and a 150 batting average against. Um, Taylor Rogers for the Padres, four for four and save opportunities, four innings, one hit, no runs, a .25 whip, and a 0.77 batting average against. Really impressive stuff from, from these two guys. Bard for Colorado, he he gave up some runs, but still he was four or five in save opportunities, had a win too, um, all in five innings of work, five hits, two runs. So he was he was impressive too, and I got to see some of him live over the weekend. Um, yeah, those are those are the top three at the moment for all me right. this week. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Uh, my hot teams for right now, I've got the Blue Jays, the White Sox, the Angels, the Mets, the Cardinals, and uh, the Dodgers and Giants, because I feel like I'm going to be calling those two names a lot, just like last season. Uh, do you have any but any additions or subtractions for your hot team list? No, I, I think, um, like you said, the Giants and Dodgers are going to be on this list most of the year. Um, you know, I, 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 there's really, again, it's, it's, we're not we're not overblowing anything, but I think obviously these guys are going to be fixtures there, and I think you you've hit them pretty well there. Yeah, I mean uh, the Marlins winning three was it three of four or three of four? So uh, that that's a huge start for them. Um, I think that's that's impressive as well. So yeah. 
All right, looking up, coming for our three clubs this week, Braves, three at the Dodgers, then finally a freaking day off for the first time since before the season started, and then three at home against the Marlins, which, eh, trepidation city. So our pitching matchups, you know it, versus Kershaw, I do not feel good about this one. Freed versus Bueller, that's going to be entertaining to watch. And Morton versus Gonsolin, that's also going to be a good one. And then coming home, uh, Wright versus Rogers. I will happily take that. Anderson versus Hernandez and Elder versus Lizardo. Thank God we missed Alcantara. Thank God for that. Cubbies this Don't worry, week. He'll get you later in the year. Oh, I did. No doubt about it. No freaking doubt about that one bit. Cubbies decided that they have to play all seven games this week. Three versus the Rays. You got Hendricks versus McClanahan, Steele versus Fleming, and Stroman versus Rasmutin. Four versus the Pirates, uh, TBA versus Wilson, Smiley versus Quintana, Hendricks versus Thompson, Steele versus Brubaker. Um, this is going to be an interesting week for you guys. You you might really need the Pirates to help bolster things back up if the Rays pitching comes in hot. Yeah, um, it, right now it's Cubs 3-2 in the bottom of the eighth. Um so I'm hoping that they they pull this one out. Hendricks is usually one that I try to count on, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, again, I'm I'm super high on Justin Steele, so I think between him and Thompson, if they can keep this this train running, um, that'll be impressive and, and fun to watch. Um, and and Stroman, I expect Stroman to get back to his normal self um, here this week. Um, I, I think the the weather, the altitude, all that that junk in Colorado um, and, and just not really being able to locate. And he owned it too. He was like, I just need to be better. He didn't try to blame it on all that stuff. He's like, I just need to be better. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's a guy who wants to be the ace of the staff at some point or ace level staff, you know, from a pitching standpoint. And, and he, and he wants to be that. So I, I, you know, he's really embraced the cup culture. I expect him to do well and rebound this week. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping playing in Wrigley cushions the blow of this week a bit with the race series and, um, you know, makes, makes this pirate series a, a good one for us. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to see Smiley continue to do what he did this week. Um, I'll take it as long as I can get it. I don't know how long I'll get it, but I'll take it. Um, I will say this, you know, it's just like watching a pitcher the third time through the lineup and getting better. We, we saw it last year. You remember when the Braves and the Phillies had the two series run together early on? Start one, Wheeler just dominated Atlanta, and start two, Atlanta turned around. And we're like, oh, we just saw you. We know what you're going to do, and they crushed him. So I, I hope he, I, I do hope he pitches well. I mean, I, you know, I appreciate what he did for us last year, and I'm so damn glad I don't see him in an Atlanta uniform anymore. Um, you did get you did get the right pitching matchup to face the Rays, though, so hopefully that should help a little bit too. And then the Phillies are following in the Cubbies' footsteps as they've got three on the road at Colorado: uh, Nola versus Cole, Gibson versus Freeland, Eflin versus Marquez. Uh, I, I'm going to take Marquez in that one. I, the others, I'm not sure. I'd have to look them up, but I know Marquez is pretty solid usually. And then come back home for three versus the Brewers, Suarez versus Peralta, Wheeler versus Hauser, and Nola versus Ashby. And it's weird seeing Ashby up there, and it's not Andy Sr. That's, that's just odd, man. Anytime yeah. I see Ashby, that's always who I think of his dad, not son. 
the the struggles the Phillies have had last week and the way the Rockies were scoring six, seven runs every single game over the weekend, th- this series could be really bad for the Phillies, I, I think. Um, I hope not for Jason's sake, but it could be. Um, Nola has not gotten off on a right foot yet. Um, Gibson, Gibson's a mixed bag. Um, Nola hasn't been right since 2020. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, Ranger Suarez bounces back and has a good start here later in the week for them. Yeah. Um, I, I expect that Brewer series to be more friendly to them than the Rocky series. Um, the Brewers Crazy don't have the long. offensive firepower and they don't have the alt- altitude to, to help. Yeah. I mean, the Rockies are hot right now. Um, I didn't put them on the hot list. They didn't quite crack for me, but they're they're on a good roll right now. So the uh, Phillies pitching needs to get itself together pretty quickly out there. All right, Joe, anything else for this past week, week two of the season? Um, Not this past week, but another series that I'm really looking at here at the beginning of the week Mm -hmm. uh, is Mets Giants. Game one got bumped today. It's at 3 o'clock tomorrow. Um, the pitching matchups these first three games, Cobb and McGill, Webb, Scherzer, and the third game Wednesday, Rodon and Bassett. Ooh. There's, a, there's a fourth game, but I can't remember who's pitching in that. Let me see if I can get that quick. But that Ooh. that's a series I'm looking forward to, um, to seeing how that plays out for them. The, the fourth matchup is – Scafani and Carrasco. Ooh, um, well, this is uh, that's, that's a good juicy. series. That's gonna be a good um, preview of of what's to come for these guys, both teams. Yeah, I, I'm liking that. I might actually have to turn that one on and watch it a little bit this week. All right, guys. So you can find our audio recordings on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Amazon Music, and Spreaker. You can see us live on our YouTube channel, on Facebook Live, and on Twitter. You can find our merchandise at www.redbubble.com slash people slash DDAB dash podcast. Follow us on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash dollar dogs and beer on our Twitter page at DDAB underscore podcast. You can find all of us on Twitter. I'm at PyroLord314. Jason's at JRicker300. Joe is at JoltonJoe35. And we are presented by Dark Arrow Podcast LLC. And we are sponsored by the awesome Whiskey and Blade Barbershop in Lidditz. Johnny, I will be in probably next week. It's getting pretty bad, buddy. Uh, may your dogs always cost a dollar. May your beer always be cold. Have a good night, everyone.